You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Throughout the entire decade of the 20s into the, the 30s, there was no college draft. So it was very important which players you could lure to play on your team. One such player, Arnie Herber. Considered one of the greatest long passers of all time. His fingers were short and stubby, so he couldn't rip the football the way a normal quarterback would. First passer in the history of the league to pass for a thousand yards. Green Bay native, pro football Hall of Famer. Before throwing a long pass, 50, 60, 70 yards, and a competitor from the word go. He taught me an awful lot about the long pass. One of the voices you heard there was actually uh, Cecil Isabel talking about Arnie Herber and how Arnie Herber taught him so much about the forward pass. As you guys know, Arnie Herber was uh, one of the all-time great quarterbacks in Packer history. Actually, when he retired, if I remember correctly, he led the entire history of the NFL in passing yards. I mean, that's how effective he was under Curly Lambeau. So that's going to be our history segment for today. And my name is Clayton Bailey. Welcome into Packers Total Access. You can check us out on Packernet.com. You can find me on Twitter at Packers underscore access. If you want to email the show, you can do so by sending a message to Packers Total Access at gmail.com. If you got a comment, a question for the show, we're actually going to answer some uh, listener questions from that that Gmail. So guys, you're never bothering us. Uh, feedback has been great here lately. Um, everybody, especially for it to be kind of the slow time, it's just so cool interacting with you guys. So make sure if, you, if you're sitting there right now going, ah, he don't want to hear from me or I don't really have anything. And if there's anything on your mind, pertaining to the Packers in this podcast, please email me. If anything, we'll have a little exchange uh, message back and forth. might not be on the show, but you may come up with a great idea, and and it'd be something that we use on the air. So um, today's history segment will be about Arnie Herber, uh, one of uh, Curly Lambeau's greatest quarterbacks as they kind of pioneered that forward pass. And then we're going to answer some listener emails, guys. Everything from Aaron Rodgers' questions to – you know, kind of uh, looking at the season, you know, what what's maybe one or two things that would prevent the Packers from having a great season. And then we got a question about a potential free agent wide receiver. That That's the stuff that just won't die. And I completely understand why, because, you know, I mean, there's still some big names out there that you, you look at our roster and you look at the wide receivers on the Packers roster and you think, man, one of these names could really help. It couldn't hurt. You know, uh, the, these guys are definitely better than the third and fourth wide receiver on our depth chart. So I completely understand uh, why people are still asking those questions. And, and again, it's slow time. Why not talk about it right now's the time to do it, because we know here in two weeks, three weeks, I think it's 16 days away. Training camp starts. There's going to be plenty to talk about. So um, before we get into the show, though, I do want to put a plug out for our giveaway. Um, Packers Rams Monday Night Football giveaway. It's one indoor club seat. 
um, for that Monday Night Football game against the defending Super Bowl champion L.A. Rams. It's going to be right there at Lambeau. It's going to be inside out of the elements. We've actually got the corner of the end zone. Uh, we upgraded to a front row seat, so you'll be right on the front row, right on the glass. you got a nice little ledge for your drinks. Everything's perfect. You can lounge back, plenty of leg space. It's really, really Really cool way to watch a cold weather game at Lambeau so you don't freeze your keister off. But um, we're giving that away. That's actually $500 in value as well as a VIP experience uh, tailgate party where three hours before the game, all you can eat, all you can drink, uh, tailgate party, big screens going on. You'll be able to see highlights from the earlier games that day and probably catch uh, a little bit of the uh, the ending of some of the, uh, some of the other games and all that. So it's going to be a blast being in there and watching the three, four o'clock games uh, depending on what time zone you're in. And, uh, and just having a cold drink and hanging out with us. So you'll, you'll be sitting with me. Uh, you know, my wife, Mandy, will be there as well as uh, our buddy Jacob from Packernet Podcast. He's got some family that may drop in as well. It's going to be a good time. So we look forward to hanging out with whoever uh, wins that contest. Now, if you want to enter that contest, all you got to do is go to my Twitter account uh, on Twitter, at Packers underscore access. Follow that account and retweet the tweet that's pinned at the top of the page. Just ignore the GoFundMe aspect because we have already hit that goal and, and that has ended. I probably need to put another another tweet up. I may do that today so people aren't confused because we were doing every $5 donated to that GoFundMe uh, would put you an extra entry into that. So uh, that has concluded. And we're going to select a winner probably somewhere around there uh, early to mid-August and give people time to uh to set up their schedule to where they can uh, they can travel over and uh, and check everything out and and come out with us if indeed they win that ticket. So another thing we want to mention here real quick, Ryan is uh, offering to the listeners of the Packernet podcast. If you're looking for advertising, guys, podcast advertising is is an excellent way to get the word out. Whether it's a small business, a, a larger business, or if you've got an event or something that you want to help promote, maybe it, maybe it's a podcast of your own that you want to promote. Uh, get with Ryan because he's uh, he's got he's running some awesome deals on advertising right now for the show and it's a, a great way to get get that out there to uh, like-minded people whether you're in the state of wisconsin it's something that that could benefit in that regard or like i said if you've got a uh, just an event coming up that you want to get the word out on so make sure you check him out um uh, hit him up uh, on twitter or send him an email and uh, and we'll get you some information so with all that being said let's jump right into the history segment and that's uh the great arnie herber We were out in California playing a few exhibition games. And MGM made a little movie about the Green Bay Packers. And when we went out on the movie set one day, they had hung up a a pane of glass three feet square on the goalpost. And they gave Herber the ball at the 50-yard line and told him to throw it through the glass. He threw the pass before the cameras are on. Garage! And broke the window pane. And they asked him, he told me he had to do it again, and he broke the pain the second time. He threw the first two right through the glass from 50 yards. Now that's accuracy with football. Arnie Herbert needed that end that could stretch the field, and they got such an end in Mr. Don Hudson in 1835. Those audio clips come courtesy of Packers.com and the Packers Legacy uh, documentary. If you guys haven't seen it, you can find it on YouTube. There's several sources there. <clears throat> but, uh, yeah, Mr. Arnie Herber, I, I want you guys to understand that they showed the video along with that audio of him breaking that glass. And, and they literally hung what looked like a four-foot-by-four-foot pane of glass, I should say, off of the goalpost. He was 50 yards away. Guys, this was back when the football was like a huge rugby, like a watermelon. He drops back, throws that thing 50 yards, throws it straight through the glass, 
and they forgot to hit record, right? So they set it up again the very next pass. He was literally two for two from 50 yards throwing at a target that was hanging off the goalpost. Like, it's unbelievable how accurate that guy was. And what's crazy is they said he had small hands, too. But we're going to get into that. Let's talk about Arnie Herber. And I, I love this. You know, I, I knew who Arnie Herber was, right? I knew he was in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. I knew that he played for Curly Lambeau, and he was a great quarterback. But I had no idea about this very first part right here. This is really cool. It says, early years, born in Green Bay, Wisconsin. Herber was a Packers fan from a young age, all while starring at local Green Bay West High School. Uh, in football and basketball. He played two years of college football on the freshman team at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and spent his sophomore season at Regis College in Denver, which dropped football after the 1929 season. Herber went back to Green Bay and worked in the clubhouse as a handyman. Think about that, guys. This guy grows up loving the Green Bay Packers. He goes to you know West Green Bay High, which was a rival of Curly Lambeau's you know, high school team there at East, and we had a great episode on the uh, on the history of the town and and how you know that high school rivalry kind of shaped the love of football there in Green Bay, Wisconsin. But uh, you know after after college and he kind of dropped out. You know after they dropped the uh, the football program there at the school he was at, Herbert went back to Green Bay and he worked in the clubhouse as a handyman. He was basically a janitor, a custodian for the Packers. Coach Curly Lambeau gave Herbert a tryout, and Herbert at the age of twenty joined the team and was currently dominating the NFL. That was currently dominating the NFL. So he didn't just come into a team that, you know, obviously, uh, you know, yeah, we're really hard up for talent. This was a, a roster that was already loaded, and uh, and Curly seen that talent. And that was what Curly did so well. And I've got people asking me, when are you going to do a Curly Lambeau episode? When are you going to do a Curly Lambeau episode? When I get the courage to, that's when I'm going to do it. Because I'm telling you guys, it's going to be an intimidating story. There's good there's bad along with it. And when you're talking about the guy who's, you know, one of the co-founders of the Green Bay Packers, it's really, really hard to, to get the courage to, to do it justice. I'm just being honest with you. That's the way I feel about it. But it says uh, his Green Bay Packer career. Green Bay had posted an undefeated 12-0-1 record and won the uh, NFL title in 1929. The year before, Herbert was on the roster. In his first year, 1930, the Packers continued their success and won another title with Herbert playing tailback in the famous Notre Dame box formation. In 1931, with Herbert throwing more than usual for that era to early greats like Johnny Blub McNally, the Packers reeled off nine straight wins to start the season and held on to win a third straight title. No other team in NFL history besides the Packers themselves in the 60s under Lombardi has won three consecutive titles. The NFL did not start keeping statistics until 1932. When they did that year, Herbert finished as the top passer in the league with 639 yards and nine touchdowns. He won the passing title again in 1934 with 799 yards and eight touchdowns. But Herbert reached his peak as a pro starting in 1935 with the arrival of Don Hudson, the league's first true wide receiver, who changed the game with his graceful moves, uh, precise patterns, and superb hands. Herbert loved to throw the ball long. It was a perfect fit for Hudson's talent. Hudson's first NFL reception was an 83-yard touchdown pass from Herbert on the first play of the game when the Packers beat 
the Chicago Bears 7 to nothing in 1936. Now listen guys, I want you to understand this. We we did a show about this and that was Hudson's very first game as a rookie and very first play I should say. They throw that ball to him and you guys know the story about um, I can't remember his name now, but one of the local Green Bay fans that paid for radio time right on, on the air, and he bashed Curly Lambeau for signing Don Hudson and said he was too small to play in the league. And and Don Hudson comes out with an 83-yard touchdown pass uh, or touchdown catch, I should say. That actually came from Arnie Herbert. You're seeing all the pieces begin to come together if you've listened to our past history segments. It says, in 1936, Herbert and Hudson rewrote temporarily the NFL receiving record book. book. Uh, Herbert tossed a record 177 passes for a record 1,239 yards and 11 touchdowns. Hudson set new records with 34 catches, 526 yards receiving, and 8 touchdowns. All marks he would soon improve. Green Bay finished 10-1-1 and went to the NFL title game, which uh, they won 21-6 over the Boston Redskins at the Polo Grounds in New York. In that game, Green Bay passed for 153 yards, and Herbert threw two touchdowns, one to Hudson. Sharing time with uh, another great passer, Cecil Isabel, the guy just, you know, you, you could hear his voice when he was talking about how he learned so much from Arnie Herbert. Herbert led the Packers to the title game in 1938 and 39. In the 1938 championship game, Green Bay lost to the New York Giants 23-17 at the Polo Grounds despite another touchdown pass from Herbert. In 1939, Green Bay avenged that loss with a 27-0 drubbing of the Giants in Milwaukee. Herbert threw for another touchdown in the 1939 title game. In 1940, Isabel began to get more playing time, and Herbert was waived at the end of training camp in 1941 and retired after 11 seasons with Green Bay. Um, he actually went on to the New York Giants. It said at age 34, Herbert came back to the draft-depleted NFL in 1944. Talking about the NFL draft-depleted, um, or I'm sorry, the uh, the uh, World War II draft-depleted NFL, if I, I should say. Answering a call to play for the New York Giants, Herbert threw sparingly but efficiently for 651 yards and six touchdowns. As usual for Herbert-led teams, the Giants won their conference and went to the NFL title game. Herbert's old squad, the Packers, still featuring Don Hudson, beat the Giants 14-7. Herbert played uh, one, one more forgettable season as the Giant with the Giants in 1945 and then retired for good. So he actually went back and went to another team and led them to the NFL title game to play the Packers. That's that's wild. I, I had no idea about that. So again. Uh, Again, he was uh, born April 2nd, 1910 in Green Bay, Wisconsin. He died October 14th, 1969 at the age of 59 in Green Bay, Wisconsin. He was 5'11", 203 pounds. I mean, that's so cool. He spent his entire life right there in the city of Green Bay. I mean, with the exception of, of kind of going off to college for a short bit. But when I'm up there, I'm going to see if we can find his resting place as well and kind of pay some homage there. But um, career history, obviously he played with the Packers for 10 years from 1930 to 1940. Uh, New York Giants there for one year from 44 to 45. He's a four-time NFL champion, uh, you know, 1930, 31, 36, and 39. First team All-Pro in 1932. Two-time second team All-Pro in 35 and 36. NFL NFL All-Star in 1939. He was the three-time NFL passing yards leader in 32, 34, and 36. Three-time passing touchdowns leader in 32, 34, and 36. Uh, NFL passer rating leader in 1936. NFL completion percentage leader in 1936. NFL 1930s All-Decade team. And he's obviously in the Green Bay Packers Hall of Fame. And uh, you uh, heard me say there in the beginning, he was inducted into the Pro Football Hall of Fame 
1966. Arnie Herber is one of those players that definitely has has gone underappreciated in Packer history. And it says as far as legacy, overall, Herber passed for 8,041 yards, 81 touchdowns, and 106 interceptions. He led the team, his teams, to four NFL championships. At the time, Herber retired for the first time in 1940. He had equaled Benny Friedman for the all-time lead in touchdown passes with 66. He added to his total uh, later when he came out of retirement for a two-year stint with the New York Giants. So he was actually there for two seasons. Uh, Herber was the first great long thrower in the NFL with his success paved the way for truly, quote, modern quarterbacks, Sammy Ball and Sid Luckman. As you guys know, Sid Luckman of the uh, Chicago Bears. Um, Herber, uh, they still haven't had a decent quarterback since then. That's really sad. I know it breaks my heart, too. Herber said to th- uh, was said to throw the ball with all five fingers on the laces. All five fingers on the laces. That's amazing. Um, a uh, peculiar peculiarity shared by no one else. It was his uh, performance with Don Hudson, however, that made him a legend and assured his place in the Pro Football Hall of Fame in 1966. He was elected to the Wisconsin Athletic Hall of Fame in 1968. During the NFL's 50th season celebration in 1969, Herbert was selected to the All-1930s team in August. Two months later, he died of cancer at the age of 59 in Green Bay and is buried at Fort Howard Memorial Park. So, um... So cool that he was selected to that all-1930s decade team there in August and then, uh, you know, before his death there two months later to, to get that honor before it was too late. That's uh, that's something that's really cool. So Arnie Herber, a great, great uh, Green Bay Packer legend. So many things I learned right there, and I'm sure you guys did too. So hope you enjoyed that. That's your history segment for the episode. Now we're going to take a quick commercial break and pay some bills. Um, we'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. 
What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. All right, we've got three listener emails we're going to hit on here, and uh, I think they're all pretty good speaking topics, too. And, and the first one kind of comes uh, comes from Bill Ryan, and <clears throat> he comes at me a little bit, man. He brings the heat. And, and I enjoy this, guys. When people disagree with me, I think it makes for you know makes for a better podcast. And it's not necessarily that we disagree here, but he did kind of call me out on something. I'm just going to read the email here. It says, um, hey, Clayton, love the show. Uh, on yesterday's show, Ryan once again stated that Rodgers panics under pressure. Using the 49ers playoff game as an example, he threw the last bomb to Adams into triple coverage while Lazard was wide open in the middle. Why aren't you as critical of Aaron as Ryan is? Three question marks. So he, Mr. Bill Ryan meant this question. <laughs> the last three years have been devastating. Super Bowl or bust this year. Go Pack Go, Bill from Westchester County, New York. All right, Bill. Well, um, like you know, I think I'd actually responded in the email. Um, well, I'll just read that email real quick. I said I actually responded to Bill and I said we actually broke this game down on today's episode, which was uh, you know yesterday's episode. There, uh, that should be releasing around 3 p.m. Central Time. In short, though, I agree with Ryan that Aaron did not play well in the San Francisco playoff game, but unfortunately, he graded higher than every other position group. Now, now he is uh, he is so by forcing the ball to Tay, but as I said on today's show, Alan Lazard only having one target after dominating the previous three games when given the opportunity is absolutely ridiculous and 100% Rodgers' fault. With all that being said, the guy did outperform everyone else on offense per PFF. Now, that's like saying that you're the... Uh, you know, you're the, the, the best-smelling pile of crap in the room, right? Because that offense did not show up at all. So I do want to add that caveat. You know, I mean, it, it is it bothers me because Aaron was at fault. You know, I mean, he only targeted Aaron or Alan Lazard one time in that playoff game, just once. And when we went back to the previous games, I, I'm pretty sure, if I remember right, Alan Lazard had like six targets in the Vikings game, had six catches. I think it was seven targets and seven catches or maybe seven targets and six catches in the Lions game. Like Lazard, he was open. And it's obvious with them double-teaming Devontae Adams, it's just it's like it, you know, Aaron played that game to not lose it. I will give you that. I mean, you look at it, he did not turn the ball over as far as, you know, interceptions. I don't believe he fumbled either. Yeah, he definitely didn't fumble either. But he was just looking at that game like you could tell it was just, okay, let, I don't want to lose it. Let's let our defense win this thing, and let's kind of lean on the run a little bit. Well, obviously the San Francisco 49ers shut the run down. Jacob and I talked about that on, on the podcast there a couple of days ago. Um, you know, it's just one of those things, man, that it, it did fall on Aaron right there. That was Aaron's fault. I mean, the way that he was, you know, keying in on Tay constantly, even in double coverage, is ridiculous. I mean, when I'm watching the game live and he chucks that ball up, I've got to be honest, guys. When he chucks it up and I see he's going to Tay, the first thing that came across my mind is exactly what I said on the podcast the other day is, think players, not plays. I mean, that's Pat Kerwin, that's Bill Parcells, that's all that whole coaching tree 101. Think players, not plays when the game's on the line. And that's exactly what Aaron did. And that may have been what the coaching staff told him to do. I don't know. But when I went back and watched it and watched the All-22 from the sideline cam, I wanted to throw up on my shoes when I seen how open Lazard was uncovering. And I know on the on the broadcast they showed it there shortly after that, man, Lazard was wide open. But at the same time, you know, they, they say a lot of stuff on those telecasts and they don't really understand what's going on in the game. But in that case, man, 
it was just a bad read by Aaron. And, and as as you watch that play too, it wasn't just like Lazard was going to make the catch and get the first down. With those two guys, um, with those two guys covering Tay on that post, right? And then you had an underneath receiver occupying. I think it was Josiah DeGuara in the flat or a uh, a delayed release route that made the underneath coverage bite on him. Lazard is catching that ball. And he may have a touchdown, guys. You can go back and watch it. I mean, it's sickening. It's like, oh, my God. That double team went with Tay. Lazard wide open. He catches the ball. You know, granted, if the ball's delivered, you know, in a place where he doesn't have to fall down as he's catching or dive for anything, he's going right up the right sideline. It's probably a touch. Could you imagine the outcome of that game and how the narrative is completely flipped on Aaron Rodgers if they make that play? It's, wow, Aaron Rodgers is clutch. Instead, it's Aaron Rodgers folded. So, again, I never put the the loss, uh, not that you are either, Bill. I appreciate the email, man. Um, not that, you know, you're putting the loss, and I never do on one player. Uh, and, again, what, what are we complaining about? Aaron Rodgers outperformed everyone else. Now, you could say he's the MVP, he's the team leader, he's the highest, pay, highest paid player on the roster. All that's true, and it's a valid argument. You know, it's a valid point. But at the same time, man, it's like, wow, it's just – it's time to move on from it, but I appreciate the email for sure, and I can understand how you would feel like that, that I'm not as critical um, on Aaron as Ryan is. Uh, you know, Ryan did seem to kind of go at him a little bit more, but uh, yeah, at the same time, man, you know, he, he outperformed everyone else on the roster. It's hard for me to point the finger at him, but again, thank you for the email, man. All right, let's move on to the next one. Next email comes from Devin Walker, and it says, uh, hey, Clayton, wonderful job on the podcast, man. I'm a Packers fan from SoCal. Parents were born and raised in Wisconsin, and the cheesehead passed through the bloodline. Question slash reflection point uh, for your pod. In general, I tend to be more a more optimistic fan. I do too, and I, and I like being there, Devin, to be honest with you, man. Enjoy the ride because you never know how long it's going to last, and don't judge a season just based on a Super Bowl win. With that being said, it seemed like since 2011, pretty much every single season, uh, we were set up to have a chance to be there right at the end, but always comes up short. Um, has definitely been disheartening, but a few days to weeks after the season is over, I tend to reflect and appreciate how freaking great it is to be a, P- a Packers fan and be in the thick of the playoff hunt year in and year out. If the Packers fall short this year, what would the uh, let's see what would be the top one or two reasons in your opinion? A lot of times, close games tend to come down to one to three plays that make the difference, but there seem to be. Uh, there there seem to be themes as well. Appreciate the input and keep up the strong work. Take care, Devin. Devin, thank you so much for the kind words, man. <clears throat> Let's see here. Where to start? You know, when you when you talk about them coming up short and, and first of all you saying, man, it, it it's easy to look back a few days later and reflect on how great it is to be a Packers fan because they're always in the hunt. This is where I I probably disagree with a lot of fans, but I definitely agree with you, Devin. Um that's all you can ask for, man. I mean, the the difference between the worst team in the league and the best team in the league is so minute. And the fact that the Packers have been such a powerhouse for so long, and every single year, barring any crazy injuries like to an Aaron Rodgers or back in the day with Brett Favre, you know, you could always look up and go, we're going to have a shot. And, man, I have so much respect and so much thankfulness and appreciation for the front office and the organization from a whole, from top to bottom, because it's first class. There's not many teams that can say they've, they've done that. How many teams can you say that for the last, whatever, 30 years that they've always got a shot? I mean, you, the New England Patriots, not that long back. I mean, the, the Patriots can only go back to, what, 2001? 
I mean, we're talking about going back to 95, really 94, when they started making the playoffs with Brett, right? I know everybody hates Brett all of a sudden now because his his political views might not line up with everyone's perfectly. It's amazing how that happens, right? But uh, anyway, uh, you know, yeah, I'm very, very appreciative. I, I can't think of another team, you know, I really can't, that's been that good that long. You've had teams that's had spurts, maybe five to ten year runs. But, man, 30 years? Are you serious? Like literally from 95, 95, 2005, 2015, I mean – and now here we are in 2022, and we're still competing. And it looks like we're going to have Aaron any anywhere from you know one to three more years. Um, you know, it's scary to think about with Adam. But back to your question, um, what's the reason? One or two reasons? I'm going to give you three. Okay, I'm going to give you three reasons that I, I think if these things happen, or you know, if we look up and go, man, they really underachieved. This this might be the reason. I'm not trying to speak this into existence or be overly negative. I'm answering the question. The first one that comes to mind for me, and, and that's how I always answer any questions. I don't, I try not to think about it too long. I feel like the honest answer when someone asks you a question is the first thing that pops in your mind. It might not be what you want them to hear. It might not be what they want to hear. But it, it, if you if you write down the first things that come into your mind, it prevents you from creating this false narrative. And the first thing that came to mind for me was special teams. Plain and simple. When you get in those close playoff games like you've seen there against the 49ers, you know, Jacob and I talked about it. If Mason Crosby hits that field goal, if he hits that field goal before halftime, that's a whole different ball game. You know, same thing with turnover differential and Mercedes Lewis and that fumble, man. It, it, it sucks that it was big dog, but I mean, it is what it is. But special teams, you know, remember something that I had forgot about that Jacob done an excellent job pointing out in our recap, and that's why I love doing those recap and those self-scout episodes, is he pointed out the Debo Samuel uh, uh, punt return, I think. It was either a punt return or a kick return. It was like a 40-something yard return. Special teams, once again. Think about the block punt in their own end zone. Special teams. I mean, it's over and over and over. And now you've brung in, you know, Rich Bisacci. And I, I do, I have all the faith in the world. The guy who's been, he's been coaching football and primarily special teams longer than I've been alive, guys. And I'm an old head, right? I'm so old, I fart dust. Like, and this dude's been coaching as long as I've been alive. I have a lot, a lot of, uh, I don't know, just a lot of confidence that he's going to turn that around. And we don't need a top three special teams. We need a top 10 special teams. If he can get in there and do that, man. Oh my gosh, the sky's the limit. But if if for some reason we do look back and we underachieved, I think special teams could be a reason. You know, just because it was, you know, it's it's hard for me to believe that we're going to go from one of the worst special teams in the entire league to one of the best in one year. But if anybody can do it, I think it's Rich Passaccia. So that's a reason. Another thing is the obvious one, right? I probably shouldn't even mention it, but if Aaron Rodgers goes down with injury, who we man. It, you know, if we look back and say, "Yeah, man, they man, that was a sucky year. We didn't get it done." Chances are, he was he either wasn't healthy, or uh, you know, he uh, he got hurt and and missed most of the season. We don't even want to think about that. But another one that I, th- I feel like is kind of a sleeper pick for me would be Preston Smith's uh, play falling off. You know, he really overperformed last year. He really did. He got back to. Uh, the old Preston Smith, you know, he had that run there when he first signed with Green Bay and he was a monster. And then he kind of fell off and Ryan's done a great job kind of documenting that as we've gone and, and, and talking about it on his pod. But if Preston Smith falls off, I think that could be a reason that the team struggles. Because if if they don't have a legit threat on the opposite side of Rashawn Gary, we're going back to the days of Aaron Campman. I don't know if you guys were fans back then, but Aaron Campman was this great, great pass rusher. 
And, you know, that's back when they run the 43 defense, right? They had a 4-3 front, so he was a defensive end. But they always said, man, you just they need somebody opposite Aaron Campman. They need something, somebody opposite Aaron Campman. They get KGB. Lo and behold, KGB loses his mind. That's, that's a show for another day, right? But then right toward the end of Aaron Campman's career, they draft Clay Matthews. And, and, you know, obviously I don't believe Aaron Kentman was – yeah, he definitely wasn't on the Super Bowl roster. But as soon as Aaron Kentman walks away, now you got Clay Matthews. You still just got that one pass rusher. And, yes, they, they struck gold there in 2010 and got the Super Bowl ring, right? But at the same time, it's like when you look back, um, uh, when it was just Clay Matthews rushing the quarterback, man, it was a struggle. We went through some bad defenses again after that Super Bowl run. You know, because he didn't have that effective edge rusher off the other side. Well, now you've got, you know, you have Preston Smith and, and Zadarius Smith, and, and you've seen what the defense was capable of doing as far as disrupting the pass. And, and according to PFF, and I'm a, I'm a firm believer now, I'm an old school uh, fan, and I, I love the thought of stopping the run, but guys, I am flipping, you know, 180 degrees here. Uh, to me, it's, it's more evident than ever that the number one priority should be stopping the pass. Not just containing the pass, but stopping the pass, attacking the pass, and making teams be patient and beat you with the run, right? And, you know, with Zadarius and Preston, they came out and they did that. They stopped the pass, and you've seen the results. Well, now Zadarius is gone, and you've got Rashawn Gary, right? So you've got Rashawn Gary and Preston Smith. Rashawn Gary really stepping into his own. I think he's going to be a, a top three, if not the best, edge rusher in the entire NFL this year. But if Preston Smith's play falls off, and they're able to slide that protect, protection to Rashawn Gary's side, and a Quay Walker isn't bringing pressure up the middle with something that creative, or uh, you know, uh, um, you know, uh, Kenny Clark and and the rookie Devontae Wyatt and Dean Lowry and those guys aren't creating pressure. If Preston Smith just falls flat this year with that new contract extension, man, that's uh, that's another reason I could see it happening. You know, another one would be Darnell Savage. It's going to be very very important for Darnell Savage to have a ba- uh, bounce back year, guys. Free safety. Is such an underappreciated position. It's in my tier two of, as far as positions of importance. You know, in tier one, I've got left tackle, edge defender, and quarterback. Those are your t- most important positions on the entire football team. And then in tier two, you've got a flurry of different positions. I think center falls into that. You know, I think that uh, uh, nose tackle falls into that. I think that um, middle linebacker falls into that, and I definitely think free safety falls into that because you're covering the center of the field. You need a guy that's rangy. He can help in the box to, to play the run, but he's also someone who's got that that breakaway. You know, a Nick Collins. What you've seen with that Super Bowl championship in 2010, guys, was Nick Collins. If Nick Collins hadn't hurt his neck, he's probably going to the Hall of Fame. And I, I, I believe that with everything in me. I watched his very first start. I was at Lambeau Field. It was against the Chicago Bears. And I remember thinking, man, they're starting this rookie at free safety, and I'm still kind of new to the pro game. I mean, I was a pro football fan growing up, but I hadn't studied it like I had college football. And I'm just telling you right now, man, when they brung Nick Collins out there and started him at safety, I was going, wow, they're starting up. And this guy's from Bethune-Cookman College, like such a small school. And then it just took one or two plays of me really keying in on that guy. From the stands, I, I remember thinking, he is so much quicker than everybody else on the field. Not just quicker, but he is – it's like he, he was not intimidated by the game, the, the, the pro game at all, right? And, uh, you know, I, I really, really think that he could have been a Hall of Famer. But, again, that was the importance, the importance of that defense and to have a safety 
anchor that defense in the backside, and you've seen it in the Super Bowl with the pick six. That's the type of stuff that Ed Reed did. That's the type of stuff that Palomalo did. And I know Palomalo played in the box primarily, and he, you know, he was more of a strong safety. But you've seen him in coverage too. He was a guy that could fly all over the field. And it's so, so important. If Darnell Savage struggles again this year, that defense is not going to take another step forward. It's just not going to happen. So Preston Smith and Darnell Savage would be my other reason that I think if we look back and said they come up short is 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 those two you know underperforming so hope that answered your question Devin thank you so much again for the kind words and email on the show it's a great question man that provoked a lot of thoughts and uh, that's the type of stuff we want shared for sure so we're going to move on to the very last one and this comes from our, our buddy uh the the Yankee New Yorker right the Yankee Packer backer and Bill Ryan he says hi Clayton uh Yankee New Yorker here again I noticed that Will Fuller is still unsigned I realize that his injury issues are a problem, but his four three two forty makes him a good deep threat. Why not? Uh, why not a similar prove it deal like Sammy Watkins um, with incentives? Go pack, go Bill from New York. Okay, so here's the dilemma with that, and and it. it I was going to look up PFF stats and kind of look and see exactly what he had done, and I thought, no, that's not the right way to handle this question. I'm going to approach it from a different angle. I'm going to approach it from the angle of how many receivers are we going to carry, okay? Let's start there with the with the end in mind. And last year, the Packers carried six receivers, okay? That was the number. So the first question is, do we carry seven? Is that possible? Do we carry seven? And if we carry seven, what are we willing to sacrifice in that regard? So obviously, there's going to be an emphasis on special teams, right? Now, you, uh, whatever receiver you sign, he isn't going to be playing special teams. An OBJ, a Will Fuller, or a Julio Jones is not going to be you know, running down the field gunning. Although, <clears throat> shoot, we might want to think about doing something like that with as bad as the special teams were last year. But I say that because if we're only carrying six receivers, I'm going to run through the receivers here and why I think they make the roster. This doesn't mean they're, they're labeled in this number on depth chart. This is just kind of how they come to mind and why we wouldn't cut them. Obviously, you're not going to cut a second-round pick there in Christian Watson, right? It's just not going to happen. I mean, it's a borderline at the 36th pick or 34th pick. It's a borderline first-round pick. Not going to happen. Alan Lazard, you know, that's a tender that he signed. That's 100% guaranteed. There's no way he's getting cut, and why would you, right? He's probably, he's arguably the best receiver on the roster. Randall Cobb, we all know, is Aaron Rodgers' guy, but for the for the people who are snarling their nose right now going, well, you shouldn't keep him just because Aaron likes him, he was the highest-graded player, the highest-graded returning receiver on the Packers roster from last year. And, guys, remember, he came in and learned this system in one year. I think you're going to see an upgrade from Randall Cobb this year. I really do. might not be huge, but I think he's going to be a little better equipped. Now, can he stay healthy? That's the question. But they're not cutting him, so that's three receivers. you got Romeo Dobbs. Um, obviously he's a rookie and you're on a four-year contract. Why do I mention the four-year contract? Because when you look at the salary cap situation next year, Bill, um, we all we need to maximize and take advantage of these rookie contracts because these guys are on very, very, very low salary cap hit deals for four years. And you've got and when you cut those guys, you forfeit that contract, right? I'm not sure how it works if you move them to the practice squad and back up. I'm pretty sure it resets to a two year deal, but I'm not hundred percent sure. So you want to maximize that. I don't think there's any way that Dobbs gets cut. I don't. Or or you know, whatever. He's gonna be on the roster. So there's four receivers. Next you've got Amari Rogers. As much as everybody likes to hate on Amari Rogers, Amari Rogers 
it was too small of a sample size. I think that Amari Rogers is going to come out this year and really surprise people. I believe that. You heard it here first, right? Probably not first. There's a lot of people saying it too. But I think Amari Rogers is going to step in. Just what we heard from Jason Brable, what we heard from Randall Cobb, and them talking about moving him even outside of the slot. I think you're going to see in some cases Amari Rogers and Randall Cobb on the field at the same time. And I think that's kind of cool. There's a lot of things they could do. You know, he was a very, very dynamic player at Clemson. And Ryan has pointed out so many times that Packers do not lean on rookies very often unless they're somebody special like a Jair Alexander, right, in their first year. So Amari Rogers isn't going anywhere. He's still got three years left on that contract, that rookie contract we just talked about. Um, up next is Sammy Watkins. I've got a question mark next to, uh, next to Sammy Watkins' name because there is a minimal penalty. I think it was a $50,000 or $100,000 penalty if they cut him. That's somebody that could potentially get cut. All right. So again, though, above him, you've got five. Next, you've got Samori Torre. Um, you know, he's a rookie with a four-year contract, and, and they say that he's uh, he's someone who could be potentially a special teams uh, guy, you know, as far as kick return, punt return. So I listed those guys. That's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. That's seven. If you don't keep seven, you got to cut one. Who's it going to be? I mean, you cut Sammy Watkins, okay, you you keep Samori Torre. If you sign someone else, this is the way I see it. I think there's a chance that Samori Torre moves to the practice squad. He was a seventh-round pick, and obviously it's it's not like, you know, there's going to be a lot of teams that are clamoring to sign him. I don't I don't imagine. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets signed by another team off waivers. But at the same time, um, that's the guy that could potentially be cut. Now, with Sammy Watkins, let's say this. Who would you rather have, Sammy Watkins or a healthy OBJ? And I'm not saying he's healthy. I'm just saying if he is healthy, I would rather have an OBJ. Who would you rather have, Sammy Watkins or Julio Jones? This is not the Julio Jones of old, but he's still graded in the 80s on PFF. I mean, you're talking about a solid receiver, a solid wide receiver. I'm taking Julio Jones over Sammy Watkins, right? Um, Now, Will Fuller, when you get to Will Fuller, that's a little bit dicey for me because I think that the the difference in talent there between him and Sammy – is somewhat minute. I don't know. I would say Will Fuller being being a lot quicker is probably a better, a significantly better player than Sammy Watkins. I'm not like 100% sold on that idea, but I could see the argument there, right? So when it comes to those two, almost a push. And I wanted to say, well, Will Fuller can't stay healthy. Well, neither can Sammy Watkins, so they're kind of the same player, right? So when it comes to Will Fuller, um, why not you know do a prove it deal with Sammy Watkins? I'm okay with that as long as we don't have to sacrifice or forfeit any of these contracts I talked about outside of Samori Torre. So you got to carry seven or cut Sammy Watkins. I think it would be cool for the Packers to come out because you got a little bit of cap space. And Julio Jones or OBJ, probably Julio Jones more than OBJ because Julio Jones is healthy right now to the best of my knowledge. I don't think, I don't think he's rehabbing an injury right now, but he is a free agent. What if you could go out – and get Julio Jones for let's say, you know, three to six million dollars. Why not do it? If you do that, then you cut Sammy Watkins, you move Samori Torre to the practice squad. You could still sign Samori Torre if he clears waivers at the end of the year, and you've got him for a couple of years on that on that futures contract, I think is what that's called. And you're kind of set up. One thing about Julio Jones, and I'm gonna look up his PFF grade real quick. And I'm glad I did that because his PFF grade last year was actually a 74.2. Not bad. I mean, that that literally puts him right there at the top 
of the receivers that are that are returning for the Green Bay Packers. But if you go back a few years, let's go to his last let's let's go to his last year in Atlanta, 2020. 86.3 was the grade. And you go to Tennessee, and obviously that that offense in Atlanta was geared around Julio Jones. It was it was going going through Julio Jones till Calvin Ridley showed up, and then of course he decided to start gambling and act like a moron. So he's he's out of there now. Boy, what I'm telling you right now, when you see organizations like Atlanta and what's going on in Cleveland, another one, it's like thank God I'm a Packers fan. <laughs> but I think that that 74.2 is more indicative of uh, of the fact that he was playing for the Titans in that scheme as opposed to one that kind of went through him. Because, guys, when you look back, 2020 was 86.3, right? In uh, 2019, it was a 90.6. 2018, 90.9. 2017, 91.7. 2016, 91.9. And 2015, 92.5. Those are all elite. That's a Hall of Fame career up to that point. And his last year, like I said, 86.3. And then he goes to Tennessee, it drops to a 74.2. Let's say he can perform in the 70s. I think that I would rather have a Julio Jones than a Sammy Watkins. That's just me personally. So to answer your question, Bill, it's kind of a, it's kind of one of those things that's, uh, you know, it's uh, kind of a catch-22, right? I think you were asking why not sign another player like a Will Fuller, right, on a prove-it deal like Sammy Watkins. I want to say no because you got to forfeit one of those rookie contracts, and that's something that's going to prove to be a huge asset where you're going to be very, very tight on the salary cap next year. But if we're going to replace Sammy Watkins, I'd be all about a Julio Jones. Um, your question was Will Fuller and the speed. For me, I think that Sammy Watkins, having already been through some mini camp and getting acclimated to the system, is a little more valuable than Will Fuller coming in off the streets off that injury and trying to uh, step right in and, and play. So, I uh, hope that answered your question. That's a great, that was a fascinating question, man. It, so many different angles, you know, you could you could approach that from. And uh, it was uh, definitely a great question. So, I appreciate you taking the time. Again, thank all of you for the emails. Uh, they're Bill, uh, Bill Ryan in New York, Devin Walker. Thank you so much, man. Appreciate you out there in SoCal, I believe. Yeah, in SoCal. And, uh, like I said, um, you know, just uh, really, really appreciate you guys taking the time to uh, to message us. I, oh, that was cool. That was Bill, actually, with the first email, too. They're calling me out about Aaron Rodgers, so good stuff. Uh, that's that's really the, the lifeblood of the podcast, guys, is taking the time to, to message in. And, and we actually got a poll up right now. If you guys uh, listen to this when you, when you do get it here um, on Tuesday afternoon, um, go check my Twitter account. I retweeted it out. Also, you can go to Packernet uh, Twitter page. And we put out a poll of what you guys want me and Jacob to cover on Sunday for the show. And we want you guys to kind of grab the steering wheel and drive that podcast on Sunday. So um, with all that, we're going to wrap the show up. We're about 43 minutes in. Uh, The Cecil Isabel story was really, really cool. It took up a little bit of time, but at the same time, and that was uh, learned a lot there. I had no idea he was a Green Bay native. And it's funny, they said it. I watched that documentary a hundred times. And they said it right in the documentary. I was like, wow, there it was. And I just wasn't paying attention. I was probably, uh, I don't know not paying attention like I always do. So, but thank you guys so much guys and gals for uh for hanging out with us today and listening to the pod. I know you could be listening to anything anything in the world and you choosing to hang out with us. We uh, would definitely appreciate it. And again, like I said, um if you want to enter the the contest there for the uh the raffle for the Packers Rams Monday Night Football giveaway indoor club seat, just go to my Twitter page, uh retweet that and uh, follow the account and you'll be good to go on that front. So, with all that, let's go out and be the change we want to see in the world, and go Pack Go. Third down, inches to go. Debater 